Welcome to Calling All Communicators, Episode 3, a podcast where industry professionals and academics discuss all things communication. I'm Zach. And I'm Cindy. We are here today with Cassidy Hansen. Cassidy started her professional career in staffing Utah political entities back in 2017 when she worked for the Utah State Legislature. During her final term of her graduate program at Purdue University, Cassidy was hired to help staff Utah's Independent Redistricting Commission. Currently, Cassidy is working as a public liaison and policy analyst for Utah's third largest city, West Jordan. When she isn't working, Cassidy can be found hiking, camping, or skiing in the mountains. Welcome, Cassidy. Thank you. Cassidy, thank you for being here. Um, we have a little bit of a tradition for um, our first question on the podcast for every guest, where we just kind of want to get the ball rolling and kind of understand what got you interested in communication in the first place. Like when, like when, when was it? How old were you? When did you decide to pursue communication as a career? Ooh, that's a good question. I think probably as early, probably in grade school, to be honest. Like I loved writing. That was something that I was like really passionate about. And I started out by just, I don't know, sharing what I saw about the world in writing. And like, I remember being a kid and writing stories about my experiences and just, I don't know, I just loved reading as well. And I think that really stuck with me and really was advantageous as I like moved throughout school. But honestly, I didn't actually get into studying communication until I think I was a sophomore in college. So I started at BYU my freshman year as a political science major, because also as a kid, one of my dreams was to become the first woman president. Hey, could still happen. Could still happen. I don't <laughs> know how happen. I feel about that, but you know, still, still open. Still, <laughs> still could happen. And so I was like, oh yeah, political science. And then I'm going to go to law school. And I had all these dreams, like in high school, I was like, oh yeah, at age 25, I'm going to become a representative. I passed that, <laughs> didn't get to it, but it's fine. And I remember just watching a newscast and I was like, you know what, like maybe I'll go into the news and like do mass communication because it's really fascinating. And I love this idea of keeping track of government and like letting the public know what's going on. And then, you know, I went and got my degree in communication and then I went to go work for the government, which is, you know, not necessarily the whole watchdog situation I had envisioned, but it's fine. It's been fun to work in governmental entities. Interesting. So your initial um, interest in communication and stuff came from kind of the watchdog journalistic point of view. Yeah. And then now I'm not doing any of that. So, you know, <laughs> you're the part that's being watched. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and the people that are watching are the people on Facebook and Twitter that are <laughs> berating your posts and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can talk more about that later. That's it's a time. <laughs> My favorite is you always have frequent flyers within your community, like whatever you're doing, whether you're working for like a bigger state entity or a city. We have what we call our frequent flyers who comment a lot on our posts, but they're watching and I appreciate that. I appreciate their involvement within government processes. Even if it can be annoying at times, I'm sure. Yeah, a common question I often get asked because I've worked <clears throat> for government for several different entities is like, is it like Parks and Rec? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I can't watch Parks and Rec because sometimes it feels a little too real. Like it's like, I had to deal with things like this all day and to like come home and watch that is just a little too much 
for me personally, but it's not always like that. Oh my gosh. That's one of Zach's favorite shows. It's a good one. I love Parks and Rec. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest here. I would love to be Leslie Nope someday. So I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see it for, I could see it for you too. <laughs> Did you have a question, mom? Yeah. I'm just curious. Um, I want to go into some of your work with the redistricting committee. Um, you know, I know you did that out in Utah. Um, that's something my husband and I were involved with here in Michigan. Um, so I'm interested to hear about your experiences during that. Oh, it Yeah, was... where, where to begin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was honestly one of the coolest things I've ever done. And I was really honored to be part of it. So in Utah, we had Prop 4, which is when people voted on having an independent redistricting commission. And that was back in like 2018 that that was voted on. And it was a pretty narrow margin by which it passed. Mm -hmm. And after that, the legislature then created the code to go with the independent commission. And then the legislature decided, we're gonna still keep our committee because our interpretation of the constitution is that we get to draw the boundary lines. So they made the committee advisory Mm -hmm. originally the, I guess the committee is not advisory. It'd be the commission that's advisory. And that's another problem we ran into all the time is, are you the committee or are you the commission? And that's still a common problem today. So the committee isn't advisory, but the commission was. So there was a difference between the committee and the commission. The commission, but both were traveling around the state at the same time. So what happened? So what was the difference between the legislatures? The committee was the legislative body. So they consisted of representatives and senators. The commission were members that were selected by the legislature. So do you see how confusing this is? Like who is who and like, we're all traveling around the state at the same time and each is kind of getting a little bit uppity. Like the legislators did not like the fact that there was a commission, right? Like that's just not something they enjoyed. And I felt like that the committee chairs were sometimes a little aggressive about the fact that the commission even existed, Mm. which is fair. I mean, it's a whole ordeal, but it's funny because originally the commission's budget was within an entity inside the state legislature. Like it was originally supposed to be staffed by staff members who were in the legislature, which is the office I formerly worked at before I went to Purdue University. But then um, Better Boundaries, which is kind of like an independent nonprofit entity was like, that's not fair, could be biased, let's remove it. So then they took the commission out of the legislature entirely which means the commission had to start from scratch in terms of like, do we have a lawyer we need to purchase like and retain a lawyer? We need to get tech, we need to buy software. Like it all started from scratch. And you have that plus the fact that the census was late. It was a lot. And I think we had a million dollars. That's all we had, which to the public sounds like a lot, but if you've ever worked in government, you know that a million dollars is nothing. So I will say it was um, an interesting time. I joined around July. I saw the opportunity pop up and I was looking for work, like more professional work since I was ending and like working on my thesis and my time was ending at Purdue. And I saw it come up and I was like, the pay is not great. Cause what they did is they had an executive director then an administrative coordinator. The commissioners don't get paid. And then they're like, all right, we're gonna just hire like this group of interns and hope for the best. And I saw the pay and I was like, oh, I 
can get paid so much more to do something else. But I also knew that the commission would be under review by the legislature, which will happen during this summer, and they could very well just get rid of the commission. Mm-hmm. So I thought this might be my one and only time to participate in redistricting in this way. So I'm just going to apply and go for it. And it was so fun. Like I really respect the commissioners and our executive director. And it was just so fun to be part of that. But it was a whirlwind for sure. Yeah, that surely sounds like it. Um, I, I guess my the next place where I want to go is I kind of want to ask about um, with the committee and the commission both rolling around the state at the same time saying seemingly different things about what's going on how did you keep the story straight with the citizens of utah was that a problem did the general populace not really understand what was going on like what was what was that like i would say that's a pretty accurate depiction of what happened so i think the commission took a really strong approach in the sense of they started going out into the community so we had booths that we'd go staff at like farmer's market or at like the fair, or if a city had an event, we would go to that. And we would just like have people draw what they thought their community was, which was really fun. So we got to take the shapes of like people saying, this is my community and overlay it in a map. And it had different layers of like, this is what people think is their community that should stay together in redistricting. And I think a lot of the times people will just default to their city or an area that's pretty much their city as like, this is my community. But sometimes people get really specific and like, especially people of color and of other groups that don't necessarily get seen politically, they were really good about saying like, oh, like this is a place where we hang out as a community. And that was really helpful because it helps us from like splitting them apart unintentionally, right? If they cross city boundaries. Because that was something I was really big with the commissioners on is saying like people live in cities for a certain reason. And I'm sure it's this way in Michigan too, like you have different cities and you say, okay, like I know what to expect from people in this city. It's a little bit of stereotyping, but it's not always inaccurate, right? As you look at like socioeconomic status, like what religions are popular in that area, languages and things like that. So I think that approach was really nice. We were accused of having a bounce house for some reason that we were taking to these events. That wasn't true. (laughs) One of the legislators called it a dog and pony show. Um, There was another person who wrote an opinion in one of the main papers and was like called us the squad of interns which that became our new like saying was like if we're the squad of interns like this is so fun and it was interesting to try and approach redistricting in a way that made sense to people and was helpful so we did a lot of social media outreach as well we did different posts on the differences between the commission and the committee I think another thing that was really helpful is we let people draw their own maps and we had people submit like partial or full maps where the legislature only accepted full maps. And I don't know, I mean, you guys are into politics, so you've tried to draw a map probably and it's not easy. Everyone loves submitting congressional because you're maybe talking about a few districts like in Utah, there's only four seats. Mm. So you really only have to split the city four different ways or the, the state, I wish it was just one city, the state four different ways. But when you're talking about like 75 house seats, it's a it's a lot. It's a lot. I will say, I think the commission did have an influence. So prior to this redistricting cycle, the state legislature was really uppity about being within like one or two people of a deviation between districts. I personally think that's absurd. A, because the census information is already outdated by the time you get it. 
like when you say, oh, I've split up these districts and there's only like one person difference in population balance, you're absolutely just incorrect by the time you count people moving. And Utah is experiencing a ton of new growth right now. It's both a blessing and a curse on Utah. Like the word is out. People love Utah. And Zach, you visited. <laughs> it's cool. It's a nice Utah. place. It's a nice place. I think a lot of people think that Denver is like Utah in the sense of, oh, I have mountains nearby. I can go after work. But <laughs> They're actually an hour away, but here in Salt Lake, like I can go up the canyon in like 10, 15 minutes where I live wow. and go recreate. So like people are wanting to move here, but we're having this crisis of like water and things like that. So really the census information was already outdated. And I don't think anyone feels bad if one district has like a couple hundred people more than another, if they feel like they're being represented well. Yes. That's the vibe I got from people, but you know, everyone has their different belief systems and that's totally appropriate. Right. Very fair. Yeah. Um, what did you find is, you know, when you mentioned like their community wants to stay together, it's one thing I, I um, noticed here in Michigan when they were redistricting the, cause we have an independent commission now is you can define community in so many different ways. You know, you can find, define it as geographical boundaries. You can define it as far as um, beliefs or race, that sort of thing. So what did, you, what did you guys end up doing? We didn't give them a definition for that okay. very reason because we felt like it biased people as to what they thought their community was. Mm -hmm. So we were pretty specific about informing the other interns of just saying like, okay, what your community is. And we were like, you can list off examples. Like, you can be like, for example, like a community might include like people who have the same religious beliefs as you. It might include people who look or speak like you. It might include like your friends and family and things like that. And I think that was helpful, but mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be any one thing and neither did the other okay. commissioners or intern or executive director. Just because I think creating a structure they can work in is awesome. But because no one had ever approached redistricting this way in Utah, we wanted to see what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to say there is no wrong way to do it, because I think not letting people have public opinion is probably not a great way to do it. But I mean, we really were, we didn't have a playbook we were abiding by. We were just doing our best. Right. And what we were given. And when it came down to it, how major were the changes in the redistricting? Compared were from the I, here's the thing, obviously in Utah, the legislature didn't adopt any of our maps, right? Uh, we went and we presented to the committee as the commission, we brought in our maps and said, hey, here are our options. And we, and by we, I mean the commissioners were smart. And originally in the code, it said you could propose up to three maps of each kind, or you could just pick one. So we had three different teams of commissioners working together. So it was like two on a team, two on a team, and then three on a team. And we just had them draw a ton of maps, like what they wanted to see and things like that of each of the kinds. So we do school district, house, senate, and then congressional. What they did is they ended up voting unanimously to recommend the maps to the state legislature. So the commission even gave the legislature three different maps that they could choose from. And then we worked with some partners from other entities to help get like really, really great analysis of our maps. At the point we were, I was doing a lot of the analysis for the maps and a lot of it was looking at like cities and saying, okay, are we keeping them together? Are we separating them? And I use some of the other popular tools 
that people use for analyzing maps. But the thing about Utah is it's so geographically interesting since most people live along one section of the state that sometimes some of those things you use to analyze aren't very helpful because we have mountains in the middle of our state, right? Mm. So like <laughs> there's certain areas where people just don't live anywhere. <laughs> and sometimes lines look jagged because of city boundaries, not because you're trying to like crack or pack areas. It's just like, this is how this city developed and it looks ridiculous. Like I don't know. And I think sometimes people look at a map and see weird lines and think, oh, gerrymandered. But honestly, sometimes it's just like, no, there's just a river there. Like you can't <laughs> get around this river unless you go a few different ways. So that was something that was really interesting. But we were really lucky. We had Nate Persley from Stanford come in. He's really big on redistricting. He does a lot of like testimonials and analysis for court cases. And he came in and watched the like process and helped us analyze the maps. And honestly, the commission didn't see the analysis on the maps like politically until after they it adopted the maps. So they were blind, they had no idea. And I will say a lot of them have been in the community for a long time. So I think they have a generally like good idea of like, yeah, you know, there's probably people who are a little bit more politically liberal in this area of Salt Lake compared to like rural Utah, except for maybe Moab, Moab's probably the exception. And they knew that, but they didn't know the nitty gritty of like, okay, we know that this many people who are registered as Republican live here or Democrat or unaffiliated or whatever. They didn't know that information. So I remember one team that had a person who was unaffiliated and another person who um, was a Democrat and served in the state legislature in the past time. They were a little disappointed that one of their maps just barely, barely leaned a little right. They were like, how did we do this? Like, what? <laughs> how does this happen? But I think it's just a testament to like when you draw based on communities you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Right. So it was really fun to see that happen and just to see the commissioners think about the process and try and do their best to draw what they consider to be a fair map. They were all pretty open to it, except for one of our commissioners who ended up quitting. So oh. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. We At least we knew he was going to quit before he did, right? He was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this. And then stated his reasons and left and <laughs> none of us were surprised but it's all good happens <laughs> <laughs> i get it yeah i was just gonna say i think it's really cool how um the commission decided to use like what citizens decided is their own communities and then you base the districts around those communities that they said that they were a part of i think that that's really really cool um because you really want communities to be voting together right isn't that kind of the whole point of having these districts is that you know a group of similar people are going to be able to uh to vote so i think that that's a really unique and cool way to tackle that and to be represented by someone who is like them who gets them yeah yeah it was really fun another thing we did is we tried to reach out to different groups and at least talk to them and say like okay like do you have a group we can meet with so we can talk with them about how they can map and how we can help them. So that was really fun just to go to these different groups and say like, hey, like we're doing this, we want to hear from you. So we had like La Raza come in and we had commissioners go to like Navajo Nation twice. Wow. Which was, I thought was really great because honestly, this sounds so terrible, but they're so far removed that they're probably gonna stay in the same district anyways. But I think it was important to them that they felt heard, mm -hmm. right? Right. 
And I don't think it's very often that they get heard by different political entities, because again, they're all in the same place. Like they usually get represented by the same person. Like even with redistricting, a lot of that's not gonna change, but it's just fun to see the different approaches. And I will say something that was annoying and was often a common thread by legislators who were not for the commission. They were like, oh, this is such a waste of taxpayer dollars. And in my opinion, I'm like, no, no, no. What's the waste is having two entities doing this at the same time. <laughs> so like, I think the committee had like 20 something legislators on it, if I'm not mistaken. So if you think about how much they're paying for travel to these different areas, you're like, okay, but like who's spending more money? It's like this 1 million. And that budgeting, I think gets hidden in a different department within the state legislature. It's something it I wanted to grandma really badly, but like, ah, I don't, I don't have to do this. It's okay. Like <laughs> it's fine. And it was also kind of weird for me because I know people in that office who staffed the committee because I used to work in that office. Wow. So it was kind of interesting to go in and present to the legislative committee as someone who used to like work for the office that staffs them. So like I wasn't nervous to present to legislators, but I was nervous to present to like my fellow staff members because when I was working for the state legislature, I was like pretty low on the totem pole which is fair. I was just out of like my undergraduate degree. So it was really important for me to come back and like really hit like a home run out of the park and be like, look, look at all these skills I've developed, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. And like we ran into them every once in a while. But another thing I really appreciated about the commission was like really working hard to have meetings at time that people could attend. So like mm -hmm. after working hours or on Saturday, where I feel like the legislative committee was kind of like, 2 p.m. on a Wednesday? Yeah, let's do it. Like, is that good? Like, <laughs> it worked for them. Worked. <laughs> yep. I don't doubt that it worked for them. <laughs> but then again, I mean, even when we were having meetings, you have a few people show up. But I think what was really great was like our online presence and how people participated online. And I think we're in an age of government where good governance is reaching out to people because people expect messages to come to them they're no longer searching for messages, right? Yes, yeah, so you have to reach them where they are, not mm -hmm. where you think they are. Yeah, because you're fighting. You're fighting so many different messaging out there and like message platforms that you almost have to invest money and time into reaching your residents instead of just expecting them to be interested, right? right? So, and this comes from like a city council view as well. We'll get to the point where the council is about to like make a final decision on something that's when people show up, right? Yes. It's like, yep. oh, if you would have showed up when we were like trying to decide what to do with this piece of land in our future land use, like that would have been way more helpful than this last minute come in and care about this issue. And I think what residents care about really just kind of depends on their own interests, right? Mm -hmm. Typically it'll be developments. That's what most residents are interested in. So if there's something that's going to be high density that comes in next to their neighborhood, they're going to come up and over in arms about saying like, oh, high density causes crimes and things like that. We've had this recent development that uh, the city has been working through that is, it's still individual like single family homes, but they're very tight. And I think the starting price point of them are like 450 or like Ooh. 500. And I'm like, at what point <laughs> do you think that like, you're gonna bring in people that are questionable <laughs> into these areas I'm sitting there thinking like okay like I'm a working professional I have a graduate degree 
could I afford this home? Probably not, because right now Utah is just having this crazy like housing market. So I have given up on that. But again, <laughs> you have all these people coming out who couldn't afford their own homes at the prices they are now, worried about that at the very last minute. So it's just always interesting to see what residents are interested in and how they choose to communicate. I'm excited to have our truth in taxation public hearing next month. I expect a lot of great public comment as people say, don't raise taxes or this is a waste of spending. It'll be interesting. <laughs> so excited. So explain truth in taxation. So truth in taxation is a very Utah thing. So <laughs> the Utah state legislature in 1985 passed this law for, called truth in taxation, where if it's a county government, a city government, or a school district, if they decide to raise their taxes, their tax rate on their residents, they have to have a truth in taxation public hearing and inform residents about it. So it's its own special hearing on top of what other public <laughs> hearings they may have already had on the budget processes. So I think right now, and I am in a mayor council form of government. So the mayor runs all the administrative stuff and the council does budget and like code. So the mayor presents his budget or her, our mayor is a man, so his, his budget at the beginning of like the summertime, the council takes it and picks it apart and decides what they want to do with it. And then they go from there. So if you have to have a tax increase, you have to have truth in taxation. Huh. Right now with inflation and stuff, it looks like the city is definitely going to need a tax increase. It's fun to watch council members try and like reduce that tax increase. But I think there's a balance of like how much staff time do you spend trying to reduce your spending versus like just, I don't want to say putting it on the residents, but at this point there's so much increase in house prices right now. I don't think residents are going to attribute a lot of the tax increase to the cities. I think it's more going to be, hey, the values of our homes have gone up. Of course, we're paying more taxes on them. Yeah. yeah. So I think the tax increase that was presented to the council was like a total of like $3.50 more a month per average home in the city. Okay. But they are adamant about it not being that much. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I sit over here and I'm like, we're fighting over what's less than a gallon of gas per right. month. Wow. And I, I'm biased, obviously, too, because like I see the advantage of increasing the tax rate because our city kind of runs on a leaner staff than the average city. So I'm like, okay, like we can invest this money back into staff. We can invest it into X, Y, and Z projects. But the culture of West Jordan as a city is they're very like a working class city. They're very like conservative with spending their money. They're like, oh, we don't need certain things. And uh -oh. that's different across the city. So our city on the east side is developed a long time ago. It's usually a lot of older people. They're like, I don't need my parks. Like, I don't need stuff like that. <laughs> or then you have people who are on the west side, which is newer and is getting new development saying like, okay, where's our parks? Like, where's our rec center? And a lot of that I think too, is like the difference in housing, right? So like on the west side, there's some developments that are a little bit more dense. So people need those opportunities to mm -hmm. recreate a little bit more. So it's just like fascinating how communication can even differ, like what works across a city, let alone an entire state when you think about something like redistricting. It's, it's a wild time. I learn something new every day. Gosh, that really is so fascinating. Just, you know, hearing about, um, you know, city politics and stuff. It's super interesting and how your messaging might not work for one one literal side of your city versus the other side super interesting well that's the way it is in communication though you have to know who your audience is and they're not a monolith 
you've got to break it into different categories. Yep. Totally. And I think even like how you get the message across is another mm-hmm. thing that still is like exhausting in terms of like deciding what to do. No like kidding. Can, Cause it's always changing too. It's always changing. So you can send out, for example, we sent out a budget mailer that was like, just like a trifold piece of mail that talked about the budget and things like that. But like, you wonder is how, like, am I spending, I think we spent like $11,000 on that, which I mean, it went out to 33,000 people. That's so when you think bad. about like, it's yeah. not bad. No, we did, we did a good job at like keeping costs low, but you think, okay, was this worth it to reach my residents? Like, did they throw it away? Did they even get it? Like, but I know when I post something on social media, I know, okay, this is how many people at least saw it. Right. And I can look at like their ages and things like that. So right now where the city is at is they're really big on Facebook. They really like Facebook. And that's not surprising considering like the demographic that usually participates in government and like Mm -hmm. age and things like that. But at the same time, do we still pay thousands of dollars to keep our like few pages in our local journal that like has like a monthly newsletter? It's hard to say because you're like, I could invest that money back into social media, but like then you have people who are elderly and look forward to reading that. And that's how they participate in government. Right. Right. And you'd be cutting them off. You would. And those people tend to participate either in person or they'll call for public comment. We have a woman who tends to call us almost every council meeting uh, by phone. She usually reads, well, she has a moment of silence for something that she's interested in that week. So it could be like any political event or like certain thing. And then after her minute of silence for her public comment time, she then reads part of the constitution. (laughs) So I mean- what a legend on her for being partis- like participating but that's like one of my parks and rec type of moments where you're like <laughs> if we haven't heard from her in a few council meetings we're like do we need to send a wellness right. check yeah like, is she yeah. okay because she's older you know and sometimes like the degree of soberness she is when she calls is a little <laughs> concerning <laughs> but you're like i still want those residents to feel involved right like you still want to see people participate in government and like I appreciate the fight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I look forward to it. And this problem is so interesting to me because, you know, we talk about my classes all the time and I'm sure you remember Cassidy is just like how, you know, the amount of channels that we can send messages through is not decreasing. It is rapidly increasing. So we're just going to have to keep trying to make these, these decisions more and more of, do I send out newsletters or do I, push this more on Twitter or on TikTok or whatever people are going to be using in two or three years. It's just, it's crazy how we're going to need to be making these decisions because you can't be super active on everything. It's just not really possible. No, it's not possible. Yeah. And I don't think, and I mean, this is the most loving way toward academia, but I don't think anything can prepare you for how crazy it is because each city is so different or each entity you work for, the culture around that is so different. Like I know if I were to go to another city within even this county, like the communication expectations would be very different. And I think another problem too is convincing your elected members that this is worth spending money on. I don't think people understand how much time and effort it takes to like put out good communication. No, right? No, people do not understand. As you read, I have an and title. I really have two jobs, right? I'm a public liaison and policy analyst. 
And I will be honest, there are times where my job as a public liaison suffers Mm -hmm. a little bit because something as my like policy analyst side takes more precedent. Because at one point, are you like, okay, I need a council to make informed policy decisions versus I need the public to know that the council is making informed policy decisions, right? Like you have to balance that where if, for example, the city hired more people, it might be easier. And I think a lot of cities and local governments face that. It's not just like my city of West Jordan that I work for that faces that issue. So it's like fascinating to think, because I think it's really hard to explain to people how long it takes, mm-hmm. not even just like the creative process, but putting it together, making sure yes. it leaves on different platforms. And we also have like a like public outreach team at the city that does it for citywide. I'm only over the council. And I know they always have someone monitoring like Mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter casually just to make sure like there aren't any comments that are out of hand or things are like crazy. And then there's even stuff you can't even watch for. So like in West Jordan, there's a like citizen led page. It's called like West Mm. Jordan happenings or something. Yeah. And so you'll see residents post stuff that's happening. And a lot of times they'll complain about things in the city. And it's like, well, did you call the city to like resolve that? And they're like, well, no. But luckily there's a lot of city members that are still on that page. Like they let me on the page, even though I'm not a resident, which I was actually really surprised. But so I like see it every once in a while. Another thing that's really interesting is what residents think they need to help with in terms of like helping the city achieve its job. So recently there have been vigilantes, I will call them, who have been turning off sprinkler systems at parks in order to conserve water, because right now we're in a drought in Utah. Wow. So they think they're helping the city by turning off the city's water, when in reality, that just makes the grass die, and then we have to spend more water watering to bring it parks. back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how people get involved in government and communicate their dissatisfaction by turning off city water sprinklers. <laughs> We're like, please stop. We're already watering at a lower level for like a specific reason. And then again, watering parks is probably okay in the sense of it's like a public facility, right? Like people are using it. It's not just like, oh, we want this grass to be here because it looks pretty. Right. But it's, it's a time. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Do you, uh, do you have any more questions, mom, or should we, uh, get to our last question? Well, I just wanted to point out quick that, you know, you, you have two titles and I just want to point out the fact that the skill sets of those two titles are diametrically opposed. (laughs) They really are. I mean, like you're looking for somebody who has like data analysis skills, but is also really personable and able to work and And communicate communicate well. Yeah, across yeah. different cultures and backgrounds and stuff. So my hat's off to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah, I remember my time at Purdue, something I was told was I was not taking enough theory classes and I was taking a little bit too much of like the data classes. Zach is like nodding because he's a data geek. About it. <laughs> but honestly, I knew because I had been in like a political communication industry before. I knew what was important to me to have in terms of skills And I think one of the best things you can do as a political communicator or in any industry is know enough about other industries you work with to be dangerous. Like that's one of my biggest suggestions. So like you might not be the smartest in the room, but you can offer like valid suggestions 
or say like, hey, I read something about this one time, or I've seen this before. How does that relate back to the problem we're solving right now? And I think that's super helpful in terms of communication, but also just making an asset to whatever team you're working on. Bravo. Really like that. That really kind of puts a bow on everything. (laughs) (laughs) I try. I'm a good communicator, right? (laughs) Some days. So that kind of almost encompassed our last question. Yeah. Uh, Because normally we ask Cassidy, our guests, do you have one tip you can provide to to our listeners? Communication tip. I still think I have another one. I think having someone else who is very different from you read your work is always super helpful, right? So all of us come from a very like academic background. We were pretty well educated and we've seen a lot of different things, but I think sometimes in order to relate best to your audience or get the message across that you want, you have to have someone who is different from you read your work and you have to be open to their critique. Bravo. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I need to hear. Cause I, that is one of my, my worst flaws is, is a writer is that I'm not good with critiques. Like, I don't like hearing how I'm bad. I'm like, no, no, no. Just tell me what I did. Well, <laughs> no, I agree. Like it's hard to separate criticism of your work from criticism of you. Right. Because yep. you put so much of your like heart and soul and like effort into your work but the more you can just let it go and be like this is what I did this is my best do whatever you want with it the better off you'll be but it takes many years of criticism I think to get used to it and then even then there's always that little piece of you that was like I really liked that sentence though (laughs) but okay That's how I felt when we wrote the redistricting report. It was required by statute that we had this redistricting report. And um, we basically wrote it in the last week, which was fine because we had a team of interns who had been writing for school. My executive director tried to pay someone else to do it. And I was like, no, Gordon, we know it the best. And we ended up just like doing it the last week. And he was like, you were right. I got nervous, but you were right. And (laughs) let me tell you what I had written and the team had written looked very different by the time the commissioners had gone through it, but it was a better product because it reflected what they wanted. And they had been in like the political industry for many more years than I have been. So I think if you can let it go, you'll often end up with a better product than when you started with. And then that will make you feel a little bit more confident in your skills and ability and trusting others to criticize your work in a manner that is helpful and productive. Man. Jeez, it's like you had that rehearsed or something. That was Goodness. good. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Jeez, you. you should you should teach. <laughs> what crazy crazy yeah. thought? Maybe yeah. one day. Yeah, maybe one day. Well, Cassidy, it truly has been a blast having you on. Um, you gave us so much really really interesting information. I had no idea that I was going to be so interested in learning about. Like, unironically, I was super interested in learning about local politics and like the dynamics of local politics in Utah. Super interesting. Very cool. Thank you. I appreciate you taking your time for us, Cassidy. Of course. Anytime. Yes. Thank you, Cassidy. And to all of our listeners, we'll give you a call next week.